What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome to the third pay-per-view point post-show of the weekend. AEW All Out 2022 just ended a few minutes ago, so we are going to run it down, tell you who won all the matches, and all our thoughts on everything that happened. I am your host as always, Tony Mango. Joining me as always, Callum Wiggins. Hello there. This is... uh. How many hours of wrestling this weekend this is, uh, came out to? This was, what, um, five hours of this, and then three-plus hours of the other one. But I, I don't know. Whatever the math is, it's finally over with that. I still have more work I have to do after that. But I'm uh, I'm going to agree with Adam in the live chat here. I'm spent. How about you, Callum? Um, yeah, I'm pretty tired, but that's starting to be expected. But, uh, yeah. I just want to get this over with and sleep, really. <laughs> well, I see we got Dane, we got Chris, we got Marco. What's up, guys? Leave your comments below uh, or leave your comments in the live chat if you are live for this. Anybody else that is in that uh, range, of course, if you want to make sure we notice that, take advantage of the super chats. If you're talking about this afterward and you still want to toss a little spare change our way, we just get that out of the way while we're talking about it. There's this marketplace stuff. You got the thanks button. That's out there on YouTube. You got the Patreon. You got the join button for the members only content just by subscribing to the membership on the channel. You've got the dark cast and the pick or poison tier. You got even a dollar a month goes a long way in helping us out. Just keeping the morale up and everything too. Redbubble and TeePublic are where you can get your merchandise. And of course, if you are just subscribed to this channel and you hit that like button, then, you know, that helps out a lot too, including just listening to this in the first place. Glad to have you here. So all out has what 50 matches or something on this card we gotta break down some of these in a very quick fashion just because like we're saying this is a lot we're kind of tired and we think that you guys probably don't want a two and a half hour long review of this to go along with it but we'll try to break it down as quickly but as efficiently as we possibly can starting off with the zero hour which was immediately into the Sammy Guevara and Ty Mello against Ruby Soho and Ortiz match for the AAA World Mixed Tag Team Championship. And I'll say this about this match and the three other ones that happened on here. The fact that I was still doing work for Worlds Collide hindered this for me because I was editing that pay-per-view post show and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do for dinner and I was trying to write some stuff up and whatever and I couldn't pay full attention to the first three of these matches. But honestly, I don't think I missed anything. <laughs> the main thing I have written down here to talk about for the uh, Guevara Mello X tag match was just the very, very end, which it seems like Ruby Soho has a broken nose, possibly. Well, you're saying that from the very, very end. She broke her nose, uh, I think. Well, yeah, with the uh, the Taikao hitting her, that broke her nose. I think uh, the other thing that really caught my attention is that she was dropped on her neck uh, early in the match as well when uh, they had that... Uh, Sammy Guevara had uh, Ruby lifted up onto him and Tai hit a like pump kick and just like she just drops pretty much on her neck. Mm, so I didn't notice that. that. Yeah, that wasn't uh, great either. And yeah, she seemingly has broken her nose as a result of this, so... Um, yeah, she can't really, well, I say she can't catch a break. She got a break in this, uh, on this show. <laughs> Different but, type uh, of break. Not, not, not the one that she would have wanted. 
yeah, it was um they they got it started pretty quickly. You you brought back the old uh, golf cart running Sammy Guevara over, so that's that's something. And yeah, it it was pretty good. I say nothing super special. Had Anna Jay get involved to cost Ruby the match, and yeah, it was just just kind of there overall. And this is, uh, I had said before, I don't know why they're not just doing the Kingston match. And now I feel like that's going to be put on the back burner. So kind of like, this is going to be something I say a few times here. I feel like this was a stall and I kind of don't want to wait to get back around to something that was there before. So I'm not feeling that in the grand scheme. I, I don't think that we needed another Ortiz and Ruby against Ty and Sammy match. So this among others uh, i'm feeling kind of i didn't know if i needed that to happen tonight <laughs> i don't uh, i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't refer to it as a stall i think uh, sammy and eddie is off the table completely now you think they're just totally done with it yeah. not even going to yeah, try yeah, yeah essentially eddie kingston punched him well at, at least attempted to if not connected with a punch to him behind the scenes i don't think they're going to work together going forward hmm. not in the short term anyway tony khan's like if you guys don't stop i'm gonna turn this whole card around <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, i kind of like the idea that sammy guevara's arch enemy in aew is a golf cart it's the recurring theme over a few years now that's one thing but that turned into the hook ftw championship match against angela parker which went on a little bit longer than i expected it to but it ended up just being hook retaining which he should because he should be the last champion Matt Menard comes out to attack him after the match. And then Action Bronson, that's the guy's name, Yep, comes out to help Hook. I have no idea who this is. He's the guy that sings Hook's theme tune. Theme tune. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Just, that was one of those things that was just like, hey, is this a wrestler that I'm not aware of? Am I supposed to be marking out here? Or, yeah, but whatever. Sure. He, uh, he did the thing. What do you think? Yeah, it was a, it was just what you wanted to see in terms of getting Hook on the card, and it was just a straightforward title defense. They gave him a bit more action than has been in certain other matches, but that's fine. Hook needs to be a bit more, well, needs to learn how to sell and get involved in more, like, less than one-sided matches. So, yeah, just give... Um, Angelo Parker a bit of offense here and yeah, it's a nice little moment for the guy that sings Hook's theme tune like he's good friends with both Taz and Hook so so yeah, it was just a, a, a again, just something they have it on the kickoff show which I don't think is like completely unmerited but it's something that will live long in the mer- memory uh, What was the third match? It was a pack against Kat, uh, Kip Sabian for the All-Atlantic title this one, I feel like I probably missed some spots that would have been really good because I still was kind of only watching this through my peripheral. It seemed like it was pretty decent, but probably not necessarily something that I would have to go back and double check. But maybe you have anything more insight on that. Do you think that this was something that would be worth if you missed it to go back and watch? No. No? <laughs> no. No, it was just... Just a match? Yeah, yeah, just a match. Like, as, as much as like just a match you can get with pack and pack typically pack matches typically are at a higher end of a scale like his average is higher than most people's average for me so this was kind of as close to average as it 
kind of gets really. And Kip Sabian didn't really pose much of a threat or as much as you would to you would want to point to. I think that his return kind of underwhelmed a little bit. So yeah, and like as I say, good, good match, just nothing special. Doesn't really give me any motivation to see Kip's character and progression beyond this point. So kind of all of that build up for the months of him standing outside or standing on the in the audience with the box on his head pretty much amounted to nothing so <laughs> that's all just a big swing and a miss the thing that got the most excitement and intention for me well two things one pack seemed to be actually working heel in this match actually it seemed like kip sabian was almost the guy that was working babyface almost so i think they might be heading down in that direction and then at the end of the match he had a stare down with orange cassidy which and he basically said, said, you're not a wrestler, you were a joke, get to the back of the line. Yeah, he ba- yeah, basically said that he's not going to fight him for the All-Atlantic Championship, which does, again, and they had another like backstage uh, confrontation afterwards when they announced that it's going to be Best Friends versus uh, Death Triangle on Dynamite. So I think there is part of Pac that just wants to avoid another confrontation or another match with Orange Cassidy, even though they only had one match and Pac won that. Well, won the one-on-one match they had previously. So, yeah, I guess he just, they're just at least carrying on the narrative that if they're not turning Pac heel, that he doesn't have anything but disdain for Orange Cassidy. And Kip Sabian after the match was yelling at the cardboard box because clearly it was that cardboard box's fault that he lost. Yeah, maybe this is the new head. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, then we went to Kingston and Ishii and they chopped each other for a bunch and I'm sure you enjoyed it more than I did it seemed like a thing that people would gush over that I have nothing really to say about <laughs> yeah it's a fantastic match and you don't understand wrestling just basically is the uh, is the overarching narrative of this as we will discuss in other segments on this show I'm pretty sure as well but yeah, this was this was one of the best matches of the entire weekend. I think it was better than pretty much any match on Clash of the Castle outside of Sheamus and uh, Gunter. Sometimes so. we definitely see eye to eye, and sometimes there's that disconnect where I'm just like, all right, a guy fought a guy with no story, and they chopped each other, and I'm supposed to go nuts, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I, I appreciate the actual just work of wrestling more than it needs to have a story and the story itself i i think stories are told in the match themselves and they don't really they don't always need to have a a huge story surrounding it the whole thing was they were essentially it was kingston's opportunity to he knows how ishii is and ishii is somebody who just withstands so much pain and so kingston decided to just test himself and essentially let Ishii give as much punishment as he was giving out and try and just essentially withstand him as much as beat him and he gets a victory and that's good because likelihood is that he should be heading towards some kind of big match at Grand Slam because he's from the area so they should try and build him up for a a decent match where he gets a big moment in his hometown I, I love this match I'll go back to this for a couple matches here. I feel like you you had a full hour's worth of these four matches with no 
like actual pre-show content. And as much as I like the idea of a pre-show potentially having a match just to kind of whet the audience's appetite, I feel like if you've got the pre-show is literally just all matches the same way, it's not a pre-show. Then it's just the fifth hour. And for having five hours of the show, I feel like there's more than enough evidence on Twitter about this too. Lots of people but at a certain point in this just were like, all right, I'm burned out. I don't have the energy for this anymore. And I feel like if you would have cut out these four matches, I think that the overall card would have been bumped up a little bit. I don't think any of these needed to be on here, especially because it's just, there's not a whole lot of story to some of them, actually to pretty much any of them at this point. But we talked about that on the prediction side. I just, uh, I don't feel like I got anything out of what I saw from this that warranted the downsides that are going to come back to later on. So keep that in mind uh, for anybody that's listening. Yeah, and keep this in mind. I completely disagree with what's <laughs> Fair enough. The uh, casino ladder match started things off, and there were some good spots here and there. Um, another kind of problem with ladder matches, and this isn't just like an AEW thing. This is WWE or literally any company at this point. Plenty of those, I'm going to set up the ladder and then not do anything with it until the next thing happens and not climb the ladder, which doesn't make any sense, but you're just going to set up the ladder in three different spots for later on. That's always been a criticism of mine about ladder matches, but and we had a couple spots that looked okay. Um, some of them, honestly, despite the fact that they are big spots, if you haven't seen it before, I had seen before, so it didn't wow me as much, like Sure, it's impressive to have like a power bomb on top of a ladder, but I've seen it better. So I'm not going to be like, oh my God, the thing that I've seen before. I, the Claudio thing, I didn't quite understand. He's got the ladders hooked together and he, the Andrade's on it. So he just sort of wobbles him, but then kind of pushes him off. I don't know what they were really going for there. No, I, I don't know. But, but <laughs> I, th- I think it was a case of they tried a lot of stuff and it got a bit too contrived mm-hmm. in places. And that what was the most evidence of that is when they had Dante Martin come in and then they've got this giant, like basic sea of ladders in the ring and Dante's trying to do some stuff and he can't get around all of the ladders and it's getting in the way. So he has to like think on his feet a little bit and reinterpret some stuff. So yeah, so there were some really, really cool ladder spots and some really good actions, big dives, some high risk stuff. The, like Canadian Destroyer on the ladder onto Andrade, the big dive through the table by Phoenix onto Roosh and all of that stuff. Like it was, yeah, it was very, very action packed, but it was also very sloppy and over the top and just too many bodies and too many ladders at times. So that kind of took away from it a bit. And by the time we get to right before the Joker is supposed to come out, we get a bunch of masked people entering the ring and they decide to take out Claudio and Dante and Wheeler. And then somebody climbs up, they take the chip off, take the mask off and it's Stokely Hathaway. And the other mask guys are Ethan Page, Colton and Austin Gunn, W. Marcy, Lee Moriarty. The Joker comes out and it's somebody in a mask and he just gets handed the chip, teases that he's going to take the mask off, but decides not to and leaves. And of course, the chatter comes around. People are wondering who the Joker is, and we'll tell you who that was a little bit later on. We're not going to spoil it here, even though most people were like, oh, it must be, insert name, uh, without spoiling who it is, though. Um, 
what did you think about this whole Joker thing? It was a unique way of ending the match. And I can understand people having some sort of negativity towards it because essentially you've had all seven of these guys just do batshit crazy stuff and then just have loads of people come out, essentially invade the match and I would say ruin it, but like, you know, they basically just took advantage of the situation and cleared everything out and handed the chip to this mystery man. And, but yeah, I, I had been saying earlier that they might have done something involved around this with the Stokely Halfway group, like Stoke Halfway clearly had something cooking up his sleeve and you have all the people that he's been associated with now, the gun club, W Morrissey, Lee Moriarty, Ethan Page, they're all now a unit and they're all under his direction. So yeah. And we'll talk about the seemingly the guy that's, is now in possession of that chip and that opportunity for the world championship later on. But yeah, I think it's, it's a, um, it's a opportunity to progress a story. And I think that was actually quite a lot of this show was story progression beyond just the matches themselves. In some ways, I think for the right decision and in some ways, I think not, (laughs) but the uh, next match was the World Trios Championship match with the Elite coming out on top after, you know, a good f- back and forth match. But it ends with the mix up of Hangman Adam Page inadvertently hitting a buckshot lariat on John Silver. And Omega is able to pin Silver to get the win with that, which I thought this was good. And uh, I like the ending to it. This was excellent. This was such a fantastic trios match. To cap off a fantastic tournament in general, most of the matches throughout the tournament were really, really, really good. And this one was just another one in that collection. I think John Silver was great, as he always is, when he's given an opportunity like this to shine. You literally can't find a single Bucks match that's happened on pay-per-view, which isn't like one of the best matches on the card and one of the best matches that AEW puts on all year, like they really step it up for these matches. And they told a really good story with every time that uh, Omega and Paige got in the ring with each other, the crowd went absolutely crazy. That just shows the intensity of the feud and the longevity of it and how much people remember and care about this stuff, which is great to see. And yeah, they just built up a really nice match overall. Just some really good spots, some really good interplay between both teams getting involved with each other they told a story early on about how Paige was a bit reluctant to go full full gums blazing on the on his opponents because he's seemingly reconciled with the Bucks and doesn't really want to hurt Omega that much but then he just got into it when they uh, fired him up and yeah you had Paige thinking that he was going to get the victory with the Buckshot missing him hitting John Silver being held hostage then by Matt Jackson as Kenny Omega just snuck into the pin. So he didn't, so essentially Paige won the match for the elite. So I'm sure that will play into a story moving forward as well. But yeah, this was excellent. And the right team claimed the first trio championships and already these titles feel important because that's the tournament and this match in particular. What do you think about the idea that uh, Omega said, try to beat that to the camera afterward? It's a nice little challenge. I mean, he knows that he's going, well, essentially, 
it wasn't the opener, but it was pretty much like the next thing alongside it for the main card. So I think he he knows that he's the he he lives up to the moniker of the best bout machine for a reason. So he if he's going to be starting off the show, he's just basically saying to everyone else, yeah, now it's your turn to step up and see if you can match and exceed that. And very few matches could touch this one, I think. The next one certainly couldn't. Jade Cargill retaining over Athena. It was kept short, as Jade Cargill's matches typically are. And I've got really nothing to say about it outside of the entrances, to be honest. There was uh, there were two notes that I wrote down, actually. One was about Athena's like retractable metal wings with the lights on them and the skulls and the LED string and everything. I was just like, my God, how much stuff is she going to carry to the ring? <laughs> and Cargill doing a She-Hulk-inspired intro with like her ring gear and busting through the bricks and all. One I liked, the other one I didn't. I didn't really like Athena's, I should say. <laughs> Specify between those two. Uh, I will write down Cargill's entrances. Not the entrance itself, but the ring gear as being like probably one of my more favorite ones with the whole She-Hulk thing. But um, the match itself, the only note that I wrote down was how late Kira Hogan and Leela Gray, Layla Gray were in breaking up the pinfall. That, that one they almost missed the opportunity to pull Cargill's leg. And if the referee wouldn't have stalled, probably would have been a three count. But it ended up well, just they did, being... Hmm? They, did, they did miss the opportunity. Um, Cargill had to kick out of the of the O-face. It was just like, you, you guys know you're supposed to pull this, right? Like, you were... You missed your, your shot, you know? Yeah, um, they fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, they... They had one kind of one major spot in the entire match and they missed their cue. So meant that, that, that essentially Athena's finishing move, which no one has kicked out of yet since she's joined AEW, had to be kicked out of. It's very much the um, Hulk uh, Sid having to kick out of the atomic leg drop at WrestleMania 8 type <laughs> moment. Obviously not to that yeah, extent <laughs> and not going to have that, that derailing an effect, but... It was, yeah, they they wanted to start off quickly, basically giving an impression that Athena would have going to catch Cargill cold and try and win just straight away. And they spent a lot of the rest of the match trying to set Athena up to hit it one more time. Uh, Jade was reversing it a couple of times into trying to get into Jaded. Uh, eventually, Kira Hogan does cause a little bit more distraction. Jade hits a pump kick on Athena coming out of the sky and then hits jaded gets the victory yeah it was kept short but they i think they did well beyond the the uh timing issues with the in, right at the start of the match i think they did well enough with the time they had available to them you don't want to you don't want to overexpose or overdo it with jade she, she is very much a like four or five minute wrestler so you play to that strength and they do that and yeah, so it ends up being probably better than if it was a 10-minute match instead. I mean, they certainly wouldn't have had the 10 minutes to tell since a lot of matches got cut short, but this one was one that didn't need to be long. And unfortunately, what comes out of this is, even though it makes more sense for Cargill to retain, Athena at this point, if I'm being perfectly honest, I don't really necessarily have an investment in her going forward. Kind of feels like the Ruby thing where she came in, she was kind of a big deal for being like, oh, now I can really tap into what I'm supposed to be doing because WWE didn't treat me well. She loses. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not really feeling a big push for Athena coming out of this, are you? Not necessarily straight away. The, 
all these things come in cycles. She'll probably just go on the back burner for a little while and then maybe be brought back to feud over a, another title or be put into another storyline in a couple of months' time. Like, that's just the way most things have to operate. She's she's had her opportunity at the t- this title. She lost it. She'll now go back into, like, a dark and dark elevation cycle for a little while until they decide that they've got another opportunity for her to do something. I got Brian Cage vibes going on where I don't think it's going to balance out, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. We had a backstage thing with uh, <laughs> Alex Marvez talking to CM Punk, or as he referred to him, CM, CM, I got a question for you. Which, of course, after this sentimental, John Moxley's fighting everybody from Chicago, the person who serves coffee and the teacher of the year and all that, which I... Yeah, you know, think it's a little bit cheesy. Then they come back and they were like, eh, he called him CM and <laughs> just completely undercut. <laughs> well, that was kind of funny. Um, we'll talk about more about that, how that played out later on, because we had a trios match between FTR and Wardlow against Jay Lethal and the Motor City Machine Guns, which uh, had one of my most feel good moments of the night for me, which was the end of the whole thing <laughs> afterward. Uh, but the power bombs and everything. It's four power bombs, if I remember correctly, that Jay Lethal takes. Wardlow scores the win, despite the fact that Saddam Singh had hit him with his cash register hands, according to Taz. <laughs> like a little moment where he's like, he's got the hands hands the size of cash registers. Whoever uses cash registers anymore. And then after the match, Samoa Joe comes out. He ends up getting busted open somehow. Did you catch how that happened? No, I yeah, I, I didn't say that. The only thing that I guess could have potentially done it is just when he like ran into Satnam Singh, just like just maybe just an accidental collision or something. Hmm. But then Dax Harwood's daughter Finley comes out. She breaks Sanjay Dutt's pencil in like a feat of strength. And when they lay out, Sanjay Dutt she puts a foot on him. Referee counts for a three count, and uh, she scores a pinfall over Sanjay Dutt. It's not going to be on the records or anything for anybody who's like, oh my god, whatever. But I thought that was actually my favorite part of that whole segment. That was pretty cute. Yeah, that was just a big, nice, feel-good moment for everybody. But they had Sanjay come out with the um, fight like an eight-year-old girl shirt, and he'd written over it, and like was just like essentially just being a shit, well, a very shitty heel as he would as he's typically been recently and then they actually had Finley come out with uh, FTR and Wardlow in the, re- the entrance wearing the t-shirt and then they had that nice little spot at the end I did see a nice uh, what a funny Twitter post where they said uh, she's the uh, third kid to win a match in AEW uh, following the uh, kid that was dressed as Orange Cassidy oh, that's, that's right uh, and negative one <laughs> Oh, no, um, oh, it must be four then, because uh, the other one they said was Jonathan Gresham. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but the, I mean, the match itself was, was good. It was nice to see, like, the embers of a hopefully future match between FTR and the Motor City Machine Guns in this and you have Wardlow finish off Jay Lethal once and for all. I think this pretty much draws a line under any potential for Jay Lethal to get another shot at the um, uh, TNT, TNT Championships. Title. Yeah, I think it's just going to be Wardlow moving forward hopefully to 
I hope hopefully to an, uh, an extended period of defending it most weeks against just whoever he wants to destroy next. <laughs> Dan in the chat says over under three and a half months until we see Samojo on TV next. <laughs> I, I presume I, again you can't say for certain because we don't know how these things work, but we know that he's been filming for a project in particular, so. If they're finished with that now, then he can come back more on a full-time schedule, then that would be great. But I don't think the product's, like, missing him entirely. Like, I don't think it's going to be the end of the world if he's only appearing, like, once every two to three weeks moving forward. So this was, again, a match that I had said I think I would have preferred Motor Submission Guns against FTR and to just do that. If we're talking just like a match for the sake of a match and, and enjoying that, I thought it was it was good, but then again, could have been better. Did like it a lot more than the next match. I could say that Ricky Stars against Powerhouse Hobbs, which was like what two minutes long or something. It was about like four or five minutes, I think. I yeah, literally was, uh... had just been starting to be like, all right, the match is kind of getting started, and then. Poof, it's over. Yeah, so my under well, at least my perception is that the story they're telling is the fact that Ricky's not a hundred percent, his neck is bothering him. And and I think that's just a storyline thing. They wouldn't have let him go out there if his neck was bothering him that badly. But that he essentially had to go through the factory and that's done more damage to him. Hobbs is just too big, too powerful, too just overall just too athletic and too strong so as soon as he was able to get an opportunity to just wear down ricky and start doing some damage to the neck and all those areas then ricky was pretty much on a hiding to nothing and they gave him a few like hope spots and fighting back but it just shut that i think they're just telling the story that ricky's not with it right at the moment so hobbs being as strong and effective a guy as he is was able to essentially prey on his weaknesses and get the victory quickly. My ideal way that this continues is that in a couple of months' time, you have Hobbs win the TNT Championship, and then you have Ricky essentially build himself back up, eventually just regain strength to eventually beat Hobbs for the title. But that could be quite long-term. So it depends how they want to go with it, but I think I understood in the in the moment why they went the direction they did but it meant the match itself was underwhelming from what we a lot of people were hoping it was going to be i wish that this was the only example of why was that so short it wasn't as good as i was hoping and i'm disappointed (laughs) i wish but i had a more egregious problem with that later on i would say um this was one of those downers for me on the night. Not that Hobbs won. I wanted Hobbs to win. It made more sense to me. But that match just ultimately was kind of blah in my mind. Thankfully, they followed it up with, I would say, my favorite match of the night. The AEW World Tag Team Championship match. It was the acclaimed and Swerve in our glory. And I thought this was a fantastic match with the wrong ending. <laughs> The crowd was eating this up so much. Arguably the most pumped that they were for the whole night was for the acclaimed. And I mean, they're chanting the seven nation army thing, you know, Oh, scissor me daddy. We want scissors chant. 
Jim Ross, I thought it was funny. He's like, this is reminiscent of years ago when they would say we want tables. It's like, dude, that happened multiple times this weekend, but okay. And there were so many moments during this match where the crowd was just like ready to burst over. My God, the acclaimed is going to win these titles and lots of near falls that were really good. Keith Lee accidentally pouncing Strickland, Strickland accidentally kicking Lee for a team that's the champions and everything. These two have been constantly hitting each other since before they became the champions. It's just a recurring theme with them that they can't get along with that. And then they still end up winning anyway, but uh, Lee and Strickland eventually started just basically working heel, which, you know, right decision, I think, because by the time you start getting all those near falls where they're breaking up the pins and the acclaimed isn't winning, people are chanting bullshit and they're just like so ready for this title change. But a powerbomb and a stomp combo keeps it on Swerve and Our Glory. Yeah, this match was just blue everybody's expectations out of the water. I didn't, I know the, the acclaimed are good. I didn't realize they were that good and they had the best match of their career. It's a real, it was a real breakout match where the crowd is a hundred percent behind them. They are fully, fully baby face. They are the most one of, if not the most over tag team on the roster right now. And they everyone loves the sesame daddy stuff and maybe it got to a point where basically the opening part of the match again i saw someone describe this way on twitter but the opening part of the match is essentially oh we love the sesame daddy thing i claimed her a big mean tag team and by the end of it you're like oh my god this team has to win i absolutely adore this team yeah. they're, they're fantastic it's just it went from like being loved for being a meme to being loved because they are like really good baby faces in peril and they worked this match fantastically and they had the thing with like Bowen selling his leg for ages and mm-hmm. oh there was yeah. a great spot with that where I kept thinking okay that's going to be the end of the match and then they did a thing with the the missed kick from Swerve where the reason why he ended up kicking Lee was because Bowen's kind of like collapsed under his leg so it was like working in reverse I thought that that was a really good touch mm. Yeah, that, yeah, he played out that uh, the leg injury really well, and yeah, Str- Strickland and Lee decided to really play into the heel dynamic, and that worked well for the match, and it could work well for the team moving forward if that's the direction they want to take it. I think that the whole aspect of their team where Lee and Strickland hit each other quite a lot is due to the fact that they're two singles guys being attacking, and that means that they're not as they're not as well versed in being a unit even though they are really good and that as as individuals they're really good and that's helped them become tag team champions they still have miscommunication issues because of the fact that frankly by nature they're both singles guys and i think that plays into their dynamic well as uh, also because it means that that could give them an excuse to eventually lose the titles and and then f- going to potentially a feud with each other due to the fact that one of them ends up costing the other the belt so so that was great the whole acclaimed all the near falls the crowd were just super into it i think in hindsight they'll look back at this and think they should have called an audible and they should have just said okay we know what we planned we're gonna have the acclaim win have the referee go into everyone's ear and just say yeah we're plans changing have the acclaim 
get the victory because they could run this match back again at Grand Slam or some other show coming forward. I mean, eventually they have to have the acclaimed win the titles and that probably needs to happen by... I, I thought it was going to happen by next year. It should happen by the end of this year at this rate. So we'll see how that goes. But I think that the issue is that even if you do do it at Grand Slam, is the reaction going to be the same as it was on this show on this night mm-hmm. in front of this crowd? Or are people so, going to look at it as, oh, well, you're doing this now because of that reaction and we can kind of see it coming. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that there was, like, they kind of had this magic atmosphere that they might not capture again. I don't think it's the same thing as like McIntyre. Like, yeah. McIntyre, because <laughs> it's not like they couldn't just have this show in front of like, but they have like shows in front of hot crowds every single week, pretty much for AEW. So I'm sure there will be a crowd that will get behind the acclaimed winning again. So it's not that big of a deal. It's not that they won't be in the UK ever again. And it's not like, you know, it was the biggest match on the entire show. So there are a lot of factors that differentiate from that. So, but yeah, I think that in hindsight, uh, Tony Khan will look at this and think, yeah, maybe I should have put the acclaimed over on this show, but I don't think it's the end of the world and they will be champions eventually. And if this night is any indication of hopefully what will be the trend going forward, they will be super over as tag team champions. I hope they come back around to that because this is the highlight of the pay-per-view for me. And it went downhill after this. Uh, Not in the sense of like, yeah, everything was shit afterward. I don't know if anybody would jump into that conclusion, but like it never reached this peak again. Because the following match after that was the interim women's world championship four-way match. And it honestly just didn't live up to that. You know, the hottest moment seemed to be when Baker and Hater were finally kind of coming to odds. But there was a little spot there where like Sheeta was taken out and then pretty much immediately comes back. So there wasn't enough time for an investment in my mind to be like, Oh no, she is taken out, and then oh look at that, she's coming back. It felt like it was like a minute and a half later. So I'm not quite sure what they were doing there. And then Tony Storm wins, and I'm like, okay, well, okay, you know, like it's not something I can gush over. Really, it was fine. I thought this match was very good, even bordering on great. I think that they everyone worked very hard. They had some really good chemistry and some moments with each other think that there weren't that many botches or anything that I could spot that were like poorly put together. I think that the crowd was super into Jamie Hayter. And again, it's one of those things where I think they should have called an audible and they should have made Jamie Hayter the women's champion, but they were going to make Tony Storm champion seemingly in the match. If, if the match with Rosa would have happened. So I guess they decided to stick to their guns. They're going to make Tony Storm champion. Fair enough. They sowed the seeds for the uh, Jamie Hayter, Britt Baker descent and how that will essentially, this is where it kicks off and will gradually break down as the weeks and months go forward. So that's something to look forward to. I think that there was some, there was some cool moments where you had a uh, Sheeta and Tony Storm going at each other and then Rebel tries to get involved. And so they just double headbutt her out of the ring. That was funny. Uh, they did the Sheeta spot where she was uh, taken out on the ramp and having Jamie Hayter just like essentially run her up the ramp and 
drop her down there and vacating the stomp again yeah maybe she came back probably a bit too soon to develop any kind of raw investment but then she was just beating the shit out of people with kendo sticks so i could kind of look forward to that uh they did really good stuff with jamie hater early on where she was double teaming every basically double teaming uh cheetah and storm on her own and just taking them out and just showing how much stronger she is than pretty much anybody else there at the moment so that all worked well. The Brit Baker stuff worked well. Having Tony Storm be able to take advantage of that miscommunication to get the victory herself worked well. Yeah, so I really don't have any negative things to say about this match. I think they all performed really well and we're interested to see if they are able to build up any momentum and or whether this is just another, okay, a good match on pay-per-view and they're just going to not care about things moving forward. Uh, we'll I got my reservations said that's probably going to be the case. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, I mean, they've given no indication to suggest otherwise. So I have no issue with anyone basically saying, oh, yeah, it's good that Tony Storm win, even if I did enjoy the match. Like, again, your mileage may vary about how much you enjoyed the match. But like, OK, Tony Storm winning is a cool moment. And then but and then you just say, yeah, but it's not going to mean anything. And I would totally be like you'd totally be justified in having that uh, that uh, uh, opinion. Especially because it it doesn't really mean anything right now, since Rosa can easily just come back, beat Storm, and then the interim title doesn't count. And then that's kind of just like, all right, that was all for nothing. So it really doesn't matter until we get that second Storm and Rosa match, which then we go back to the idea of, well, why not just give Storm the title at Forbidden Door? You know, we do that again. But whatever. That was better than the next segment, I gotta say, because this is the part where I was like, all right, yeah, fuck this then. And I got a feeling you're probably gonna disagree with me on this, but. Oh, how hardly, yeah. Jungle Boy gets jumped by Luchasaurus. Christian Cage hits a spear and a kill switch and beats him. There's 15 matches on this card. And this is a rush squash for a gotcha, just for the sake of stalling it and being like all right well the feud that's been months in the making wait a little bit longer if wwe did this people would bitch i don't like that excuse from aew being like ah but but this time it's good storytelling like to me i think it's a stall no it's not it's that's that's bullshit if wwe did this i wouldn't complain um it makes total sense if if he does have Luchasaurus in his back pocket, then why wouldn't he have Luchasaurus attack him straight from the bell? What wouldn't make sense is if they have a match and then Luchasaurus turns on Jungle Boy because that's just why didn't you just have him attack him in the first place? It's uh this is the actual you know real way it would happen if you are going to go this this route, and there's reasons for this. I mean, it helps extend the story. It gives them a bit more animosity between not just Jungle Boy and Christian, but then Jungle Boy to uh, Luchasaurus. It, yeah, so that builds up to more rivalries going forward. It also accounts for the fact that Christian's clearly injured. Uh, he's clearly got a tricep injury. That's the reason why he had that giant uh, thing covering his arm. He's clearly hurt. He clearly can't wrestle a long match at the moment. So they have to compensate for that. So they use this as a, a bit more of a storyline beat. And I think on a night where you had as many good and long matches as this night pre- presented, I think it was fine to have a segment like this, which was more just purely story-driven. Dri- you have 
Jungle Boy kick out the spear to show a little bit more of like fighting spirit before you have Christian hit the kill switch and get the victory. Yeah, I I I think that this was effective. I think it, right there you said it. You would think it would be fine to have a segment like this. We got Hobbs and Starks. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't mind. And then I like, think again on top of it, I, I think I, with I, a, I like, a card that's kind of like. Yeah, but the match is fun for the whatever for some of the other things. Then I go, all right, well, this was one match that I was actually really looking forward to seeing. So if I'm supposed to like the AEW show for having like two random guys against each other or whatever, and then one of the matches I was looking forward to the most ends up being a gotcha, then yeah, I end up looking at it and going, oh, fuck me, it's 15 matches and you couldn't have figured out another way to get something else better or something. And that's it's kind of a putting the weight on the wrong end and not the thing that I would value scenario. So for my personal tastes, this was a major disappointment on my end. And it's hard for me to actually come back around to this by, you know, the next three matches, I was just like, all right, my mood's kind of shot. I I do kind of understand that to a degree. If you were like super looking forward to this match, but I I also just don't know what to say in terms of Christian was basically incapable of having a good match with, his injury like he you would not got have gotten a 15 20 minute match between these two christian is not in any shape to compete like it's pretty clear based on the fact that he hasn't wrestled pretty much since well for months and months so i don't know how long he's been but actually either hurt or out then don't book it on the card well that means you have the opportunity to do the storyline beat and now you have now you have Jungle Boy versus Luchasaurus, a match that you can actually do and have a proper match with. So, see, I would have eventually been, they will get they will get round to Christian versus Jungle Boy. I would have liked that better than if they would have said that this match was happening on Dynamite. It ends up being this, and then they set up Jungle Boy versus Luchasaurus on this card. Then I would have been more forgiving of it. This just feels very like bait and switch. I, th- I think that there, there is there is like a possibility for that, especially if like someone does pay primarily to watch this match. So I can I can understand it to a degree that people would prefer to see this one on Dynamite. But I always lean towards the arguments, both in both from WWE and this perspective is both WWE and AEW perspective. That's basically not so every show is equal weight in. The, obviously, this show is a bigger deal, but that's primarily for like the main event and some of the other title matches whereas you need to have stuff that's big on every single show rather than just trying to cram every single thing onto this one show i would say i of course i i don't pay for these because of working for Bleacher report but if i were to have paid 50 dollars this would have been one of the things that would have made me go you know what next time i'm not paying the 50 dollars and I think that, yeah, everybody's got different tastes and everything like that. So obviously certain people will be like, hey, the uh, the ring ropes weren't this color. So I don't whatever. Yeah, certain people weigh certain things differently. But this is one of those times where I'm like, you know, I don't care about half the card. And then one of the matches that I do really care about, I don't get to see. Yeah, screw it. Then maybe the next time I don't trust that they're going to do it. And uh, I don't know what the press conference stuff afterward is addressing this if there's anything that for that matter too for any of these things i don't know what's happening on the scrum maybe something comes out that changes our opinion about something i don't know but 
Um, I kind of look at it as like, oh, if Christian wasn't ready to go, then why do the false advertisement? I don't think this is justified enough for the, the story for it, but to each their own. If you agree, you disagree, leave a comment. Tell us uh, if you're more pro Callum's side, more my side. Dane's saying Meltzer gave it seven stars. <laughs> I highly doubt he's going to do that, but you never know. I will say that put me in a sour enough mood that it took me a little while to get into the next match, which I was another one that was really looking forward to. Brian Danielson against the Lionheart, Chris Jericho. I was really digging the Lionheart ring gear and stuff until I noticed that he did not have those tights fitting. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I have to be completely fair when I was talking about in the World's Collide thing about how many times Mandy Rose adjusted her top. He was really adjusting his tights a lot during this match. <laughs> I literally tweeted out who's uh, adjusted their ring gear more. Is it Mandy Rose with her top or Jericho with his pants? Same kind of thing. He it, it wasn't fitting, so I don't know what was going on there. But they were turning my mood around and everything. And, uh, you know, I was enjoying this match, but I wasn't loving it as much as I was hoping that I would. And then it just kind of had an ending. And they, I know what they're going for here. I know the story is Daniel Garcia was telling him not to cheat, and Jericho did a low blow. He got his Judas effect. I hate that finisher. Literally haven't changed my opinion about that since from the very start. So later on, Daniel Garcia is like, oh, you shouldn't have cheated. And that's the story. But I saw a lot of people echoing the same opinion of, well, that was a flat ending. How do you feel about that? I think, again, it's just, it made sense. So I'm kind of okay with it. it. It's one of those things where, yeah, I can understand people taking a bit more of a flat end into it, but if it makes sense, I'm kind of more likely to forgive it. it the whole story was that Jericho was trying to out-wrestle Danielson and trying to prove to Daniel Garcia that he is the better wrestler out of the two of them, as well as the better sports entertainer. You had this nice little spot uh, during, early on in the match where uh, Daniel... Uh, Brian Danielson says, uh, oh, you want to be entertained? And then he just does like hip gyration before he does some sort of like a leg attack. And so that was that that was that was fun. And yeah, it was a good, solid wrestling match between two veterans that just could do this type of match in their sleep pretty much. A lot of submissions, a lot of um, like lots of just like good counters into like the Psycho Knee and the Co-Breaker and all this other stuff and had uh, Brian picking up the uh, the cattle mutilation as well as the belt lock and all this other, the triangle chokes and pretty much anything that he could muster. And yeah, it all ends up with Jericho um, getting into like him and Danielson being like pushed into the corner with Aubrey and Jericho using the opportunity to just uh, kick him below the belt and hit the Judas effect and get the victory. Yeah, it just plays into the story. I know I can understand that it's like it's kind of came out of nowhere, but I think that's kind of the point. It's like Jericho tried everything that he could to beat Danielson by fairly out wrestling him and just proving himself to be the better wrestler, and he couldn't do it. And so, as soon as he does resort to those below the belt methods, he immediately gets the victory. And so that means that he gets celebrated. He still gets to think in his own mind that he's the better wrestler and he proved it by beating Danielson and there's nothing else left for him to prove. And Garcia can just look at him and say, well, yeah, you you cheated to win. You you didn't actually out-wrestle him. You just took advantage of an opportunity and got the win. So 
that can continue furthering the dissension between them, eventually leading to Garcia leaving and joining the Blackpool Combat Club and all this other stuff. But yeah, I think even though the ending was out of nowhere, I think that was kind of by design. So then that took us into a match that I didn't care about to begin with. <laughs> so that was another like kind of want to skip to the end kind of deal, which was House of Black against Miro, Darby Allen and Sting. And I don't really have anything to say about it. We eventually got Malachi Black bleeding from like around his eye. And that was another thing that I was just like, I kind of missed what happened there. Did you catch that? See what happened? No, I, I mean, it was probably just Darby Allen hitting him with something. Probably yeah. nothing like, like, I mean, like when Ty blasted, uh, Ruby in the nose. That was like, okay, that's what got her there. I couldn't figure out what was happening with this one, but I'm really even more confused about what happened at the very end of this, which was sting was, uh, he got the basically gets the win for his team. He sprays mist in the eyes of Malachi black and Darby Allen's able to twist up black for a pin. But by the time that sting was spraying the mist, Miro was walking back up the ramp and he was literally all the way up the ramp by the time that Allen was going for the pinfall. I didn't catch them acknowledging this at all. And maybe I've just missed it or something, but this felt really weird to me. Well, there's a lot to unpack with this match beyond actually far beyond the match itself. But the match itself was again a good trios match nothing like super spectacular but like there's some good sequences you had sting get involved the crowd liked sting and so that was a lot of fun mira was just going crazy on the attack and they beat up Darby allen for a while before he went flying around with all of his uh suicide uh, suicide dives and everything but yeah the ending where you have sting put the mitt spray his own mist in black's face and Darby allen rolling him up to get the victory I guess the, the, the thing they're trying to tell with the Miro, because Miro didn't want to tag in at any or tag out at any point. He was just wanting to pretty much beat the House of Black on his own. So maybe their story, if they are telling a story, is to essentially say that he was disappointed about the fact that he wasn't able to get the victory and so he decided to just walk away like, okay, you ended up getting the victory without me involved, so I'm just going to get out of here. Or if it's another kind of outside of that scenario, because there are rumors circulating about Miro's happiness in AEW. So mm-hmm. if that's an indication of that, that's an issue. Uh, but then even beyond that, and I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but uh, I was looking over Twitter from people that were at the show live, which included like Brian Alvarez and uh, Sean Ross Sapp. Post match and- stuff with uh, Alki. Yeah, so yep. essentially he uh, essentially blew kisses to the crowd and kind of waved goodbye, had this big group hub hug with the rest of uh, the House of Black. And that kind of gives an indication that they might have just made an agreement for him to work this show and now he's going to be released. And for anybody who's wondering if we'd have any information about it, I don't know anything else. I mean, I don't ever claim to be like, oh, I've got sources because I fucking don't, but uh, I haven't heard anything that specifies exactly what is going on with Malachi Black. He had tweeted out or posted something on Tumblr or whatever it was about like two years and like, was it all worth anything or whatever? And then some people are saying that that's about AEW, even though he hasn't been there for two years, so that's a little bit of a mix up. 
some people were saying maybe this is a post about the pandemic. Maybe it's some other behind the scenes thing, like some family issue or whatever. But there is, of course, always the speculation that maybe he doesn't want to be in AEW and maybe he does want to come back to WWE or he wants to just leave wrestling in general or maybe there's something else going on. But it does seem like that kind of indicates a little bit more credibility towards the idea that something is going on with Malachi Black. And then if the Miro thing is true too, if he's just like, all right, that's pretty much the end of the match. I'm fucking leaving. And that's not a great sign. (laughs) At least there's no story that I'm catching here. Either they're doing some kind of really subtle storytelling. That's even not like clicking in my brain or, or maybe there's some kind of an issue. I don't know. But the Miro thing, I was just like, why is this guy all the way up at the top of the stage already? And I was expecting them to say something like Miro is mad about whatever. So he's look at them. He's already booking and leaving or whatever. And to best of my acknowledgement, they didn't say anything about it at all. So maybe they get some kind of thing where they talk about it on dynamite. Maybe they completely ignore it and we weren't supposed to notice that, (laughs) but that was more interesting to me than anything that happened during the match itself is just this post match Miro and Malachi stuff. And, I'm way more interested in hearing what we get out of that than, you know, any kind of follow-up with House of Black or Allen and Sting. Dane's suggesting Alistair Black's the new leader of the Judgment Day. I don't know if that's going to happen, at the very least. Uh, Three votes in the chat from Josh saying about, I put up a poll wondering if people are pro-con or indifferent to the Jungle Boy thing. It looks like people are more con, but I can't see the poll. Right now, for some reason, YouTube is kind of glitching out for me. It doesn't literally acknowledge that I've got a poll going on at all. So yay for YouTube. Um, <laughs> if that changes, let me know, everybody. Uh, we got the Daniel Garcia thing. Jargo Appreciation Society is not going to be supporting him against Wheeler Yuta. You think there's any specific road that they're heading with that? I think they'll have the Garcia beat Yuta. You think That's he will? Can, yeah, I think he'll win. Hmm. I'd be down for it. I wouldn't be opposed to that whatsoever. Uh, let's see. Was that the main event then? Next? Yes, it was. The AEW World Championship match. Moxley, oddly enough, not the first person to bleed. And if he did bleed, I couldn't tell because Punk was bleeding so much that it ended up basically kind of spilling all over onto Moxley. I was surprised about that. Yeah, I mean, you typically would involve, especially in a a big main event uh, pay per view match, for Moxley to to bleed significantly. But yeah, essentially they decided to go with the Punk thing because it was in Chicago. They're playing up the babyface thing. The babyface is usually the one that would be the one that bleeds and has to fight through that adversity. So it makes sense why they went in that route. No interference from the coffee shop guy. No interference from the teacher of the year. None of those people, Punk just has to fight it out on his own. Of course, suspension to disbelief, everybody cheering for him means the injury doesn't matter anymore. It's wrestling, whatever. And with two GTSs, Punk gets the win, which, uh, eh, match was good. Not going to be my match of the year, but I can see why people would have enjoyed it like a whole lot more than than me. Not saying it's bad by any means, just it's not on my list. 
yeah, it was a very physical match. Again, it's not going to be in my match of the year candidate either, but yeah, very physical match. Like they told a good story. I think um, they tried to play up the fact that the crowd was super anti Moxley, where realistically the crowd actually wasn't that anti Moxley because everyone kind of just really likes John Moxley in general. So there was definitely, definitely a let's go Moxley CM Punk back and forth. Yeah. And they kind of tried to lean into the idea that, oh, the chants for CM Punk are a lot louder than the, the <laughs> drowning out the Moxley stuff, where realistically it was kind of more 50-50 than they'd want to really admit. But they told the story of Punk fighting from beneath. Again, I, I, I kind of buy into the idea that he wasn't ever quote-unquote injured. He just had to get to understand how it is to now work on that injured foot. And he went through it in this match. Realistically, you said he won off two GTSs. He won off three because he hit GTS in the first like minute of this match, pretty much. So, I mean, two and, at the uh, end. Yeah, the one Moxley falls yeah. on top of him, picks him up, gets him at the second one. Yeah. Oh yeah, I know. But that was the third one. That was the second and third ones. So, because, but yeah, so they they tried to tease the idea of Punk getting an early wins, try and almost immediately counteract the Moxley thing. He goes on the attack. Moxley pretty much dominates the vast majority of the match, as you would expect, because Punk is still like coming back. Like, would it be ring rusty beyond just being having to deal with this uh, injury? Uh, but he fights through the pain, gets the victory, hits the two GTSs, gets the win. It makes sense in the in the sense that like he has that home crowd momentum behind him and that like can drive someone into achieving extraordinary things so i'm totally cool with him now being champion and actually being able to have somewhat of a run with the title now that uh he's healthy again and at least we know what direction that is going at least for in the short term well then after the match the joker pops up on the screen after this audio plays of tony khan saying you don't care about the fans, but I do. So here's your offer. Show up at AEW All Out and basically I'll pay a shit ton of money and we'll, you know, give you a bunch of what you're asking for. And the Joker takes off his mask and it's MJF who comes out and taunts that he's going to win the title and then it ends. <laughs> I went from, okay, cool. I'm totally down for MJF winning the title to, uh, it's over. Womp womp. I was disappointed in that. Well, you just assumed he was just going to win the title there and then. Yeah, fuck yeah. That Give me like a done. money in the bank cash in. I've always thought that that should be the case with the, the chip. Should be more money in the bank style. And then for it to just be like, ah, it's MJF. We'll figure out more on Dynamite. I know it's supposed to be the hook. But then again, I kind of feel like maybe the hook would have just been the Joker anyway. And that they didn't need to do the MJF reveal for that. And they could have been a smarter way to get it because now i'm like all right well now we know it's mjf but then it's just okay well i'm gonna go for the title well we know that already so what really is the hook other than the fact that i want to hear mjf speak again look is that you now have to pay to see likely paid to see this match another show because that's how smart business people operate i'm talking about for dynamite Oh, Dynamite, yeah, MJF, where MJF just comes back and explains why he's got been gone, what's, uh, what changed, what his motivations are, why he's part of this group with Stokely Hathaway. There's a lot for him to explain and a lot of things for him to discuss. So, realistically, just the thought of, uh, of MJF talking and explaining his actions is the hook to bring you into Dynamite. 
and realistically if that's not enough then i don't really know what you like you probably there's nothing that can really convince you to watch that show so so either you you want to watch it because you want to see what he has to say or you don't want to watch it and realistically you probably don't want to watch dynamite for any reason the way I look at it is I think that it would have been better if the Joker wouldn't have been revealed here and it would have been more of we can figure out who the Joker is on Dynamite. I think that would have been a little bit stronger. But I've said a million times, even before when we got to All In, that MJF has been one of my favorite guys. So yeah, I was just a little bit disappointed that he didn't just win the title because I'm just like, fuck it. <laughs> I don't want to really see the CM Punk win. I want to just go straight to MJF. But now, even more so than that, I'm interested in what happened at the media scrum and i didn't check this yeah. out yet but i'm seeing from multiple different things here punk going off on uh the young bucks and page and Cole cabana and <laughs> i haven't like i said i haven't uh seen it yet uh we got a little message here from uh from rob saying a quote about this whole thing let me read what this is why I'm a grown-ass adult man, I decide to be friends with somebody as nobody else's fucking business, but my friends, if I fall backwards, will catch me. Scott, uh, Scott Colton, that's uh, his real name, I guess? I don't know. Yeah. I felt never would have. My problem was I wanted to be, I wanted to bring a guy with me to the top that didn't want to see me at the top. You can call it jealousy, you can call it envy, whatever the fuck it is. My relationship with Scott Colton ended long before I paid all of his bills. I have every receipt. I have every invoice. I have every email. I have an email where he says, I agree to go out separate ways, go our separate ways. I'm assuming I will get out of my own lawyer. You do not have to pay anymore. That's an email I have. The only reason the public did not see it is because I find when I finally had to counter sue him through discovery, we discovered he shared a bank account with his mother. That's a fact. Why is that being brought up? As soon as we discovered that fact, we, and we subpoenaed old Marshall or old Marsha, he sent out the email. Oh, can we please drop all this? It's 2022. I haven't been friends with this guy since at least 2014, late 2013. <sighs> yeah. So there's a lot of stuff. I'm just checking out some transcripts from uh, this on the Wrestle Talk website. Uh, so it says things here about um, EVPs. So he says uh, uh, essentially it's the idea that when regarding Colt Cabana, he says people who call themselves EVPs, you should have known better about the whole situation. Um, so it's about Adam Page saying an uh, empty headed dumb fuck like Adam Page to go on television and go into business for himself. Mm. Um, he says things like uh, elaborating on the EVP comment says, because if you're an EVP, you don't try and middle your top baby face, try to get your niche audience on the internet to hate him or something, make up a bullshit rumor really pisses me off stepping on your own dick trying to fucking make money sell tickets fill arenas and these stupid guys think they're in uh receder don't know what that receder thing is but that's a that, that might just be uh enough reference to me um says here our locker room for all the wisdom and brilliance it has isn't worth shit when you have an empty-headed idiot who's never done anything in the business do public interviews and say i don't really take advice who the fuck do you think you are that stupid fucking go go fuck yourself that's how I feel about it. I dare you to fucking say that to Terry Funk's face. I don't need to listen to you, Mr. Funk. I know what I'm doing. Fucking grow up. And that's apparently in reference to uh, Adam Page uh, about MGF. I'm tired of wrestling these pricks. I'm tired of wrestling these kids who think they know everything, but I'm not the boss. I think Max is a supremely talented individual, and this goes for anyone else in the locker room who doesn't want to be here. 
the grass isn't greener on the other side, the grass is greener where you water it, Max likes to shit where he eats instead of watering the grass, so we'll have to see how that goes. And then a final thing on uh, Cole Cabana, he says, the reason I'm never defending myself is because when you do, you look defensive. I'm very, very sad today that I had to get up here and say his name because he doesn't fucking deserve it and talk about it. But facts are facts, you know, name two people that have made the most money off of the name CM Punk. He says he, and then says he looks at Tony Khan and he says, I don't think you're there yet. The first one is Vincent Mann and the second one is Scott Colton. Ooh. And uh, to close, uh, he said, I hope you have a good night and be more responsible about news you get from certain people. And please remember, we're human beings. Well, so, this is already going to be a news story. So if his idea is to not look like an ass. <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's one of those things like that strikes me as a guy who is so fucking frustrated mm-hmm. with all of this stuff that's come out in the news recently. And again, I'm, I'm not saying that um, he's right or the media are right or anything like that, but that's a guy who basically wants to now just get his side of the story out there and does, and in a way that the guy who doesn't want to be in a situation where he has to get his side of the story out there and he's just pissed off and he's angry and he, he clearly doesn't, I think it's not a case of him wanting to leave AEW. He just doesn't like a lot of the people in AEW. <laughs> I think he likes Tony Khan. I think he likes obviously some of the people he works with FTR, all this other stuff, but he clearly has issues with the EVPs. He clearly has an issue with our hangman page. He clearly doesn't want to talk about Colt Cabana. So, so yeah, it's just a bit of a difficult situation. And he clearly, I think that stuff about MJF, I'm sure some of it is, it's worked to a degree, but I think there is that genuine animosity there as well. So we'll see, see how it goes. But uh, clearly he has uh, a lot of bugbears at the moment that are just coming to the forefront. But they have made him the world champion again, so they clearly don't have any reservations about him continuing to fulfill his obligations. I am one of those people that uh, I think that most situations are different shades of gray. I I hate how so many people in this world these days in particular are very much like, nope, I back whatever, that's the end of it, and it can't be anything else, and I'm not going to change my mind. I could understand a scenario, of course, I don't know anything about what happens behind the scenes that we haven't been confirmed about or anything like that, so that's another thing, take it with a grain of salt, blah, 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 all that bullshit. But uh, I could see some things about Punk saying things where it's like, look, People don't want to say it, but here's the truth that I could agree with. And then there's some other things where I'm like, do you really think that it's a good idea to put the title back on this guy? (laughs) Kind of seems a little problematic in some ways. And I don't know if it's going to be one of those decisions where we look back and we go, it all worked out. And that ended up being just like a hiccup. Or if this ends up being where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh, But well, I just I just to round that up, uh, SRS is already tweeting that there's already big heat on CM Punk for the comments he's made on the post uh, scrum. So as there should so. be, realistically yeah, there I- should be because that's another thing too is I fully understand when a celebrity reaches a point where they're like, look, I'm tired of talking about this and I'm just going to kind of lash out, especially because it's like you ever see those videos of like somebody who quote unquote attacks the um mob of paparazzi that's like hounding them and then people act like the celebrity is the problem and it's like no they're hounded 24 7 they can't step outside and have a meal without the people like 
running up to them and saying bullshit and taking their picture and, and whatever. I get when people can snap with that, but then I also kind of go like, we're in a culture where people can tweet things out immediately and they can do a podcast or they can do, you know, a, a quick video on TikTok or whatever it might be to like air their thoughts about something and keep it from blowing up a little bit. And when you keep things hidden and, you know, you bottle it all up and you bottle it up and then eventually you just have to explode, it comes off worse than if you would have just said some of the stuff a little bit ahead of time. And maybe that's the better course of handling some of these things is to not be so goddamn closed off when doing this like company speak stuff of, uh, well, you know, corporate, we got to talk about it this way and we have to say everything's fine. Like you can say this person doesn't like that person or something or yeah, we're having some problems between Cabana and Punk instead of, nope, everybody's perfectly fine. And then people a day or two later are like, fuck that guy. And you're like, God damn it. You just completely negated my everything's okay speech. And then, of course, there's the people that are going up. Oh, it's all work. You know, there's going to be those people. Yeah, just a. <laughs> Yeah, just to wait and see how this pans out. It's clearly there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of tension and a lot of uh, difficulties by anybody's measure. I mean, CM Punk has pretty much just showcased it as openly as you possibly can. How certain people and certain uh, issues rubbing him the wrong way. So, so yeah, I, we'll see how long it takes for these to resolve themselves as they ever end up doing, but. I think uh, for the meantime, it's probably worthwhile to have him as as champion, even if it is a uh, even if he's not in the best place right now, or it's not as uh, all like like smelling of roses like it was when he first came back. Maybe this actual uh, this controversy adds a bit more like you know spice to his next reign and his upcoming reign and the feud with MJF, rather than it being just. A, a, just a typical heel versus baby face thing. I wish we could be a fly on the wall to figure out who's backing who <laughs> and just like get to know, you know, is it, uh, you would seem, uh, it would seem like it would be, if he's talking about like the young bucks and the EVPs and whatever, seems like probably Omega page, the bucks, you know, the elite in all elite wrestling, probably against the punk side. The punk side, probably more of a Tony Khan thing, especially because we know that this originally all out, uh, all in and everything that leads to AEW, it wasn't supposed to be all elite wrestling. Remember, it was supposed to be uh, world's best wrestling with CM Punk. So you got to assume Tony Khan's probably, you know, he's the one calling the shots at the end. He's probably the one that's making the case pro punk. But I am kind of curious if this means that there are people like, Brian Danielson maybe on his side is somebody like Chris Jericho more on punk side or more on the elite side or, you know, where do people fall in this split? And I'm sure there's also people that are like, look, I'm not on either side. I'm just here to do my job. But, uh, I, I, I want to know if there's a, <laughs> a shoot survivor series, like, uh, team versus team working its way. I want to know who's on which team and what we're going to call punk's team to go against the elite. I don't know. 
but we might look back on this as being one of those events where that media call might be more important than anything that happened at all out even. And we might get people leaving the company. We might get people talking more about some other kind of things. We might get some really big news coming out of this. So I'm far more interested in that than to see what punk actually does going forward with like a kayfabe title reign. I'll say that. Yeah, that's yeah. I'd say it's always, in especially considering what we both uh, look into in terms of just the the other side of wrestling beyond what we see on the screen every single uh, week. It's uh, oftentimes is the case is the stuff that's uh, outside of the that TV product is the more exciting and the more dramatic stuff than anything they can actually put on screen. <laughs> so, so that seems to be the case moving forward. So. Look forward to some interesting hot tags, I imagine, going forward. Malachi yeah. Black, Miro, Page, and all that. Uh, who knows what we're in store for over these next few days, but that is going to be one of the next episodes of Smack Tuck that we've got coming your way. Still haven't quite settled 100% on what the main event is that's coming up next. Still leaning towards the idea of maybe just doing fantasy booking the ultimate NXT UK pay-per-view card. That could be kind of fun and just kind of wrap up the way that NXT UK has officially ended, but maybe we do something else. Maybe some other news happens in the meantime. Maybe we end up coming back around to this story as being just look, the biggest thing happens and we're just going to do one of those like extenuated uh, hot tag editions of like going over or something. I don't know. We'll see. We got a couple days before that happens. So stay tuned for that. Make sure that you are subscribed to this channel and ring that little notification bell to know when we go live for certain things or when things get posted up on the site. If you want to get access to the dark casts that are out there, remember you got the Patreon and you got the uh, channel membership over on the little join button. Just click on that. And this is done for the pay-per-view point content for this week. These six episodes of this. So <sighs> we're over with that. <laughs> That's a good thing. I could use a little bit of a break from some pay-per-views, but the next event that is definitely heading our way is Extreme Rules, which I had thought about possibly getting tickets for, but then the next thing I knew, the tickets were way too much money and everything, so even though that's in Philly, I guess that's not happening. Who knows? Maybe I'll end up getting a ticket down the line and just going. Highly doubt it, though. That is the beginning of October. And then full gear, we know when that is going to be now at this point is November 19th. So that's the next AEW event, but we've got some WWE stuff in the meantime as well. The Grand Slam episode is uh, what week? It's not this next week coming up. It's the week after that or something, I think, right? Uh, to double check. Uh, coming up soon, but I'm, I'm blanking on exactly. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be October at some point, I think. Maybe, maybe uh, let's see. It will be, oh, actually, uh, September 21st. 21st. Okay, so we got two weeks or so from that. Yeah, and, the, and, the, and then the Rampage one as well. So they, they decide to extend it as two of them. So, so yeah, so a, a few weeks away. All right. Well, that is uh, some stuff to look forward to. And then I think we've got actually a little bit of some blank stuff after that, too. Let me bring up my, uh, my calendar right now. Because right now, yeah, we got three blank weeks until we get into Crown Jewel predictions for the beginning of that. So if you have any suggestions of what you'd like to see us do, let us know and we will factor that in, try to get around to that. If we are not necessarily hitting in that direction and you really want us to go like, oh man, the next one I want you to do is this and I really, really want it, make sure that you do that, pick your poison 
option because you could always just be like, look, I'm directly funding it. Screw you guys. You're watching this pay-per-view for fan outs table or something along those lines. And then, uh, you know, I'll play around with whatever we get to play around with whenever those toys pop out of the chest. And then what kind of weird analogy I'm going with here for some recent toy story popped in my mind, I guess <laughs> in any fashion all out. That's what it is. Let us know what your favorite of the three pay-per-views was for this whole weekend. I got to say probably overall just in a tighter package. Probably Worlds Collide for me. What about you? Oh, All Out was the best one. Like, considerable margin. Let us know in the comments below what you thought. What's your favorite? What's your least favorite? What's the one in the middle? Rank them. If you didn't see them all, rank them anyway. I don't know. And then uh, if you want to follow what else we got going on, of course, there's SmartCatMoment.com. You'll find some other things that are happening there. Go to FanboysAnonymous.com to check out everything under the geek culture spectrum that I decide to post. I got a feeling I'm probably going to be doing at least one, if not two movie things over the next two weeks or so. I'm going to try actually about like a week from now, I'm going to try to maybe knock out some content on there. So stay tuned for that. Of course, if we want to support that even more Patreon for that, subscribe and like, and follow and do all that good stuff for fanboys anonymous, just the same as you would do for fanboys or for smart Cat moment. And if you go to amangotree.com, you'll see other links for everything there, including my personal social media accounts at Tony Mango. You can also see what I do on eWrestling News Bleacher Report through those links. I got another article I got to write up about the best and the worst booking decisions of All Out. So you're going to see more complaints to me about the Jungle Boy thing and the uh, setup for, for instance, the Ricky Starks thing. I wasn't a big fan of that. And I think that's where our glory shouldn't have won. So that's going to be my worst. But you'll see some more positives. The best of it should have been Tony Storm. So that makes sense. Or uh, I like the idea that they did the Joker thing a little bit. So read that tomorrow. <laughs> It'll be up at eight in the morning. And if you want to follow what Callum's up to, then you should know where to go. But if you don't, where should they go, Callum? Uh, find me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. Check out uh, the power rankings over on the SmartCamo website, and you can also check out the Fantasy League there as well. I'm trying to rush it because it's already taken too long. This is podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we have, I don't know how many, three hours worth of this uh, over the course of, no, uh, two hours today, an hour and a half of then, you know, whatever. But yes, lots of pay-per-view content. Hopefully you've enjoyed it this weekend, everybody. And hopefully, uh, I hope that you enjoy this next stuff coming up soon. But until then... Take a little bit of a break, but we'll see you then, everybody. For now, this has been another Smart Out moment, and we're being counted out.